morning, everybody. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to see you here as well. We're going to have a great time this morning. Can you say amen? amen. Awesome. Praise God. Yeah, I was just thinking. <laughs> I had lots of thoughts on the way here, and I'm going to start my timer so I know not to go too long. Because I know that your head can only handle as much as your rear end can take, so I'm going to make sure that nobody falls asleep, either at the top or the bottom. All right. Praise God. There we go. So what I wanted to talk to you about this morning was culture. Culture. And uh, I realize culture is a strange thing. Because culture is not what I talk about. Culture is what you think. It's not even where you live. You may live in a culture and have a different culture than the culture in which you live. Uh, because you have a different set of values. Culture is what your value system is, right? You can have a different value system than the place that you work. Your value system can be, I want to treat people well, and I want to give them the best deal, and I want to serve them, and the culture system that you may be in was, eh, we'll just do whatever we feel like, and we're not going to really exert ourselves, we'll do whatever we want. But we can have a culture that says, no, I, I operate because of a different reason. My reason isn't, I'm only going to do what I can handle because I'm tired. That's my culture. My culture is that when I'm tired, you don't get the best out of me. My culture is when I'm tired, I get snarky. I get mean. I'm not, I'm not good to be around because that's just how I am. That could be your culture. That could be the reason why you function. Or you could have a completely different one that says, you know what, even when I'm tired, even when I'm feeling run down, I'm just going to be pleasant. I'm going to admit that I'm tired. I'm going to admit that I'm not feeling at my best. I'm going to admit that I'm not doing well, but I'm also going to admit that you don't deserve the bad side of my attitude. You deserve at least the best side. And if I can't say anything nice, then do what your mom always told you, say nothing at all. Amen? So, uh, or at least I think that's what your mom told you. Uh, my mother told me that, and she wasn't a Christian. Uh, so there, there are, there, there's a cultural thing that we want to get a handle on. And what I'm talking about today is not gonna, we're not uploading something new. You know that when you upload too many pieces of software into the computer, what happens? There's something that called, sometimes it prints out, it says, there's a software conflict. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes the software conflict gets so bad that you have to return to the factory settings. Have you seen that on your, even on your iPhone, if you have one, or you have one that says, eventually when there's too many conflicts, the only option you have left is to press that button that says, return to the factory settings. And it warns you, it says, if you push this button, it will erase everything and bring it back to the way it was when it first was made. And you realize there's no other way to fix it, right? There's no other way to fix it. Uploading another piece of software is just going to make the problem even worse. So it's not adding things indefinitely that improves the functionality of us within the culture that we have. Sometimes you just got to get rid of all of the software that you've been loading in for years and years and years. Amen? And you got to do the unthinkable. Push the button that totally destroys everything you've ever done, everything you ever recorded, Everything that you ever had as valuable is now suddenly removed. And you start with something that's completely clean and there's nothing new to add to it. Is that a scary idea? Or is that 
a freeing idea. How many, of, how many of you are experiencing stress? Wonderful. Three of you. That's good. The rest of you, I'm so glad you don't live in this world and uh, that you don't have anything that worries you. Awesome. You probably don't have a mortgage to pay. You probably don't have rent to pay. You probably don't have a car payment. You probably are not concerned about gas. Oh, we put in at $6.05, and that was cheap before we came. So that was great. We just rejoiced. People say to us, what on earth are you doing in California? We'd never be there. I said, yeah, because God always leads us when it's convenient. He always takes us to the easiest place in life. Isn't that great? If it's not easy, it ain't God. <laughs> that's another piece of software that's going to cause a conflict, right? You need to push the button and take you back to the original factory settings because that's the only way to do it. All right, I don't want to get too mired in this because I believe that it's clear that salvation is a return to the factory settings. But not only is salvation a return to the factory settings, but uh, the reality of it is that we need to get back to the factory settings in our life so that we can function properly because they sometimes people feel like, I just can't keep this up. What are you keeping up? You, you, you're, you're trying to keep all of these things working together and in reality, that's not supposed to be our focus. Our focus, our focus is supposed to be Jesus. When you're focusing on a million things, your life is going to get really, really complicated and complicated makes you tired. I don't know if you've noticed that. Complicated makes me, and it's complicated when there's just so much going on that I don't know what else I'm going to do. That's not the time to add something else in. So, oh, yeah, my life's really busy. I got way too much going on. Let's add another thing to this. And that seems to be the culture we live in because life is never so busy that you can't do yet one more thing. Just another thing. Just add another thing. Add another thing. Add another thing. Until eventually you say, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted and I don't know what I'm doing. And then you say, well, is this the way that it's really supposed to be lived? Or at least, is this the way it's supposed to operate? And I'm here to tell you this morning that it isn't supposed to operate like that. <coughs> Amen? I'm, I mean, I, I, Alex is pastoring you guys as a church. And uh, the last thing he needs is another piece of software. The one piece of software that's plugged in is, besides all the battles that he's fighting, you're, we're all fighting battles. Amen? You win them on the outside, uh, so you fight them on the outside, but you win them on the inside, right? They, th those battles take place here. You win them on the inside. If you don't win it on the inside, you, it don't matter that you're fighting them on the outside. It, you, you lose. You've got to win it here first. You've got to win it first inside of yourself, and then on the outside, those things will be able to be dealt with. Amen? But what you, what you, want, what you don't want to do is add to the situation saying, okay, Alex, here's another... Besides all the battles you have to face as a father, as a husband, as uh, an employee, as uh, whatever your other responsibilities are, yes, another responsibility, you need to keep me happy for the rest of my days. I know what it's like to uh, pastor a church where people make it your responsibility to keep them happy, otherwise they're going to punish you. Right? Isn't that how it goes? If that pastor doesn't make me happy, I'm going to punish him. I'm going to make life, I'm going to show him that he needs to keep me happy. I, I know it sounds funny now, but you say, well, I deserve that. I, I don't think anybody really does, but uh, I'm just talking about your culture this morning. You know, when babies come into the world and we hold them, we love them, right? 
not because they're going to do us such a great service for the rest of our life. I'm so glad you came. You're going to make my life wonderful. You're going to make my life so much better. You, I just see you laboring away to make my life easy. You don't do that, right? That's not even, you love them because of who they are, not what they're going to do. Is that true? Yeah. Why? I mean, all they're going to do is throw up on you, urinate on you, poop all over the place. Our kids used to save up on Sunday morning. They'd save up all week until Sunday morning, and then they'd have what we refer to as the amazing exploding diaper experience. This is where it didn't matter that it had those little pieces that kept everything together. It just oozed out everywhere, and, and, and it would happen just before church started. Without fail, it was astounding. It was like, how does the baby explode like that? How did you keep that much inside of that little uh, body? It's like, oh, my goodness. I said, and how can something that cute smell that bad? <laughs> I mean, you, 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 look, you look like you're from heaven, but you smell like you're from hell. <laughs> what is that all about? And the same is true of believers that get saved. They really look like they're from, they have those moments, you know, that just looks so great. Oh, we're so thrilled. And then they have their moments where they just let it all rip. <laughs> we don't take them and say, I'm sorry, you can't stay in this house anymore. You, and we put them out on the front doorstep and said, you have to stay out there until you learn to behave better. Do we do that? Well, it's gone quiet in this church now. Is that what we do? We can't do that because they're just babies. Amen? Are babies, are babies, why are they babies? Babies, babies are in control of absolutely nothing. They're not even in control of their own bowels. <laughs> and yet we still love them. Imagine loving somebody who has no bowel control. <laughs> I think, I hope my kids keep loving me when I have no bowel control because you start off with no bowel control and you probably end up with no bowel control. I think it kind of happens when you, when you die <coughs> or as you're getting really old. So when they visit me in, I hope not an old age home because I've told them I'll haunt them if they stick me in there or whatever else it is. But anyway, whatever it takes. I mean, I'm sure that there's stuff that's going to happen down the road. But we, we, don't, we don't give up on... <laughs> We don't give up on babies just because they surprise us. You're going, oh, look at him, he's so cute, he's laughing, <laughs> throws right into your face. and say, wow, you could have turned, you know. Couldn't you feel that coming? You could have given me a warning. What was wrong with you? And, and uh, the thing is, they do it without warning, right? They just do it without warning, and they do it so unexpected. The timing is always terrible. Amen? You can't say Amen. I will not be offended, I promise. All right. But we still love them. When I was growing up, <coughs> I heard people say about people who got saved, oh, they really needed Jesus. Like, I need Jesus, but I don't need so much of him. I just need a little bit of Jesus for me because I had it all together. Did you know that exactly the same price was paid for you as was paid for me? Was paid for the worst possible sinner as paid for the smallest child. Amen? Same price. Because it takes exactly the same sacrifice to save each one of us. No matter how good or how bad we are, or how good we think we are, or how bad we think we are, it's exactly the same price. 
Why is that? Because we all have the same problem. We, we, need, we need to be changed, and it doesn't happen through what we do. Some people say, well, I wasn't as bad as that person. All that means is you have less growing to do after you get saved because you have a culture of being nice to people. And so that's great. But if all you're doing is just have a culture and you don't have a life, there's no point in having a culture if you don't have a life. You can have a Christian culture without having a Christian life, without the life of Christ inside of you. Some people grow up with a Christian culture and they still die and go to hell. So they go to hell as the nicest people you could ever meet. They're the nicest people in hell. In fact, they're probably the most surprised people in hell. Because the really bad people expected to go there and these are just the people who are totally stunned. I was nice. Yeah, but it's not about being nice. You know, it's not about not having an exploding diaper. It's not about having spitting up in your parents' face. Or as one, one day happened, my, 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 my wife and I, we had our first child and, and then uh, she had to have a, a cesarean section and so she had all the staples in and I changed the diaper of our son and uh, we went ahead and she was just watching me because she couldn't really move so much because she just had the surgery and we dragged her out of the hospital too early. And uh, the next moment, there opened up the diaper and of course just started urinating everywhere and of course it went all over and everything. I was sitting on the bed in my underwear trying to take care of the baby and it went all over me and Jane just about split all the diaper, all of the staples or stitches that she had with uh, the, the um, operation that she'd had for the removal of the baby because it was too big to come out any other way I suppose. I don't know. But anyway, the reality of it is that um, there, there are some things that hit us unexpectedly <coughs> and uh, and there are moments where people act like we don't expect what are we talking about here so um, we're talking about that when we go back to uh, the factory setting I, I want to ask you this morning what is your default setting is your default setting Jesus died for me or is your default setting they let me down they didn't do what I was expecting. They should have been better than that. It's been years already. How come they haven't got it together? Is that your default setting? Do you find fault or do you look for the Savior and hold on to him? Uh, do you uh, say to yourself, I'm a mess. I'm screwed up. I'm never going to be any better. Is that your default setting? Is that the factory setting? Because that isn't the factory setting. The factory setting, the one who made you, knows that the return setting is the fact Jesus died for me. And because of that, I am clean and pure before God. That should be your factory setting. Amen. That should be your factory setting even when you meet somebody who disappoints you. It's easy to say, Jesus died for me. Isn't that great? Jesus died for me. I'm good. But then it's, it's sometimes harder to say, Jesus died for you. And that's all that I need to know about you is that he paid for you. And that's good enough for me. And if you can't see that, I'll see it for both of us until you see it the way that I see it because that's me helping you grow up and not letting you stay where you are stuck in the position that you are in. Amen. <coughs> all right. Now, the, the natural thing for all of us is we want to focus in on what people are doing rather than who they are. That's what we want to do. And so it's easy for us to get legalistic. How I many you know legalism means all you see are all the problems that people are doing? Now, if you're married... 
you, you, if you have, um, you, you have to have seven positive things uh, for every three negatives that you say in order just to break even. So if you ha find three things negative that you want to say, you probably should find seven things that are positive. You need to have more than a two-to-one uh, level of things to say. So you can't be, you can't be finding fault. How I many know fault-finding is normal? Three of us know fault-finding is normal. Fault-finding is normal. It's easy enough to look at people and say, oh, I know what you did wrong. You didn't clean the bathroom. You didn't put the cap back on the to toothpaste. Uh, you left your stuff lying around. Why is your underpants on the floor for the third time running? And why on these things? Not so it's easy to find out where people miss out. <coughs> it's hard to find value. We're living in an age where all we see is what is wrong. And because of that, we become critical. Anybody found themselves getting more and more critical? Just getting critical of people and what's going on. Jesus said that the law and the prophets uh, were until John. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom is preached. He made a distinction between something that focuses on what we're doing wrong and what Jesus Christ has come to do for us. And uh, I want to speak to you uh, about that. <coughs> In John chapter 8, verses 3 through 6, you can look it up there. I'm just going to tell you the story. John chapter 8, verse 3 through 6. They catch a woman in the very act of adultery. And I know they don't bring the man with, but that's a secondary concern. I mean, she wasn't committing adultery by herself. She had somebody else. She was in, in the very act. They bring her there. And the whole purpose of bringing her there is to, is to accuse Jesus. Why? Because that's what they're all about. They're scribes and they're Pharisees. And they're all about finding something wrong in somebody. Because that's what scribes and Pharisees do. They just about they they say, well, we're keeping the standard. Actually, what you're doing is you're de you you you're taking value away from the people that God came to give value to. Culture that we have as the church needs to make sure that people are valued, that people are valuable, even messy people, even the amazing exploding diaper people are valuable. Correct? Amen. Hallelujah. And then you still have those days that even after they potty trained, what happens? I had an accident. And then you look at the accident and, oh, man, it's a doozy. What happened? Well, I was playing. Well, why didn't you come in? Because I was having a good time. And I didn't have time to come to the bathroom. So now it's a big mess all over again. There's always those kinds of circumstances that happen. But yeah, in John chapter 8, they bring her, she's caught in adultery, and they say, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. You may have a pet thing that you don't like, <coughs> and this is one of the things they didn't like. Adultery, it was the no-no. That and tax collecting. <laughs> Nowadays, I think we tolerate adultery, and we don't like tax collecting. But anyway... Then, in those days, it was adultery and tax collecting were the two big sins. Maybe you're, you have some favorite ones that you want to point out and stick on Facebook and say wrong is wrong and right is right. Is that really the culture that we want the world to know? We really want the world to know about Jesus. Th that doesn't mean I'm excusing sin. People always tell me, oh, you're making little of sin. No, I'm making much of Jesus. There is a distinction. It's possible to make so much of sin that people think Jesus doesn't matter at all. Yeah. 
that all Jesus is is another reason to rail at people and to, um, and, and to bag on them and to run them down and say they're no good and all the rest of it. And we have our favorite sins, the ones that we don't sin. We, we, we don't sin like that, so we pick those as our favorite sins. So now we're going to have a go at them. They brought this woman caught in adultery. And you know why they brought her to Jesus? They weren't looking for him to solve her problem. They brought him so that they could kill her. Right? They wanted to kill her. And if they couldn't kill her, they wanted to kill him. They were out to kill somebody. <clears throat> That's what they were about to do. And, and they were looking for a reason. And Jesus, they were looking for outrage. And he didn't, he didn't have outrage. You know, sometimes people say things to me, and they're looking for me to be outraged at it. And I don't have time to be outraged anymore because I'm encouraged. I'm not discouraged. I'm enthused. I have, I'm in God. I'm not outside of I, I'm excited about Jesus being the answer. Hallelujah. Because here's what I know. It doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how screwed up you are. It doesn't matter how terrible it is. Jesus is the answer. And why would I panic if I've got the answer to everything? You say, oh, he can't be the answer to everything. Yeah, he is. It's the factory setting. When everything else is not working, when the whole thing is completely messed up, you can just push it again and say, I'm returning to the factory setting. The software I've been uploading and all of the other garbage and stuff, it don't, it's not doing anything. There's so much conflict. I can't even resolve anything. Now I'm returning to the factory setting in my life. So that's what they look. They just wanted Jesus to be outraged to do, and he refused to be outraged. I think that if Jesus was interviewed on uh, uh, on TV by some of the people who do the interviewing on TV uh, for less than honest reasons, <coughs> asking him, "What do you think about this particular sin?" that the Christians would have run Jesus down as he's the guy who's soft on sin. In fact, the Pharisees and the Sadducees probably he's soft on sin. He's not soft on sin. He's, he's strong on loving people. Amen? He's strong on loving people. Do you, I, I'm gonna, there's plenty more of these stories. When you've started seeing them, you start saying, hang on, we're just not acting the way we should be. We're not representing Jesus. We're representing somebody else, and I don't even know who, what his name is. And he, but we're not acting at all like Jesus. He, he didn't even get engaged. <laughs> People would say, oh, you know what? He, he, he's, I remember playing. No, don't worry. I don't want to tell the story. So uh, he didn't even get engaged. He bends down and starts drawing in the sand. Could have said, religious, religious teacher refuses to respond to whether adultery is a sin or not and prefers doodling in the sand. That's all he's doing is just drawing in the sand. I have no idea what he's drawing. I've heard many messages where people said he was writing the names of all of their secret girlfriends that they were involved with. He was busy doing that. And that's why they went out one by one. I have no idea if that's true. In fact, I sincerely doubt it. Um, but when he's done with everything else, he said, okay, now that you've all finished screaming and coming up with your ideas, he said, here's what I want to say to you. Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. That's what he said. Let the one who is without sin cast, cast the first stone. So what is he saying to them? He's saying, if you want to judge anybody, why don't you judge yourself? That's what he's saying to me. I mean, if you, if, you, if you want to find fault with anybody, find fault with yourself. 
Check your own heart before you want to comment on somebody else's. And you say, well, is that what we He said, Those, them's fighting words, preacher. No, they're not fighting words. They're just saying it's too easy to presume. We know the details about people's lives, and we just don't. We just don't. We have no idea what they're going through. We have no idea what's happened. I, I mean, I recently heard some stuff, and I was like, I was just saddened. But what really saddened me was the way that it was reported by other Christians made it sound even worse than what it was because there was just no attitude. I thought, really, are we really about that? Are we as believers really about pointing out all the faults of everybody else? Or are we really about, you know what? There's a lot of weakness and brokenness and a lot of unhealed stuff that's going on in the church world. And we want to lift up Jesus and say he's the one who's more than enough. We don't condone anything, but we're not going to get so hung up on it that we forget that Jesus is the answer. He's the deliverer. He's the savior. He's the one who cleanses. He's the one who makes us whole. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Praise God. So I'm not minimizing sin. I want to maximize Christ. Is that your culture? Not minimizing sin, but maximizing Christ? Can we make too much of Jesus? Can we exaggerate his accomplishments? Can we say, well, he really destroyed sin? Can we say that enough? Is it possible to exaggerate that? And then can I ask you the other thing? Is it possible to exaggerate the effects of sin? Is it possible to say that sin is, well, that's never going to change. That's never going to be different. They, they, they're done. They're over. That's, that's, should we be saying stuff like that? I don't think we should. Is there grounds for that in the Word of God? I don't see any. It should not be there. Amen. All right. <clears throat> We're living in an age where the culture is we want the spectacular that to such a degree that we've given up on the supernatural. You know, natural means the way that things are without the intervention of God. And supernatural means above natural. Natural, above natural. How many of you want to live just a natural life? Or you want to live an above natural life? It's natural to find fault. It's supernatural to forgive. It's natural to see everything that's wrong. It's supernatural to see Jesus in spite of everything that's wrong. Amen? People say, no, no, I wanted the other supernatural message. Like, I wanted to see blind eyes open. I wanted if you can't do the small miracles like seeing Jesus in spite of all of the failure, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. In today's thinking, that's a miracle that happens right there. And it's happening on the inside of you. You're seeing something that nobody else can necessarily see. And you know what it's doing for you? It's not destroying your hope. It's not making you say, oh, my God, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm so upset of everything. That is the response of people who have lost sight of Jesus in the church but we can't see Jesus because we've lost everything. You've been uploading so much software, your head is spinning. <clears throat> All right. When Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem, he came to Samaria. And when he got to Samaria, there were some people there in Luke chapter 9, verses 54 and 55. They weren't willing to accept Jesus because he was going to Jerusalem. And, and they were Samaritans. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worshiped in a mountain in Samaria. And so when they saw Jesus was going to Jerusalem, they had a religious argument with him. And so the disciples got upset, <coughs> James and John. 
You remember James and John? Jesus called them Boanerges, sons of thunder. <laughs> and here they look at it, they, they got ticked off. Anybody got ticked off before as a Christian? Oh, okay, good. And so, yeah, these two guys, they, they get ticked off. Now, the reason they get ticked off is because th th their culture is different. They've only recently joined Jesus. See, James and John started out with John the Baptist. I mean, he's hardcore. He's wearing animal skins, and he's eating locusts and honey. How you make that taste good? God in his infinite wisdom alone knows. I can't imagine. So they were crunching down on dead locusts and they were slugging down honey to fix it, whatever they were doing, I mean, or to help the legs of the locust go down. I don't know what's kicking back or whatever else is on it. So these are hardcore guys. They've been with John the Baptist. I mean, he's pointing at them. He says, you snakes, you vipers. You, he, he's calling all kinds of things. And he's, he's in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Remember what Elijah did? When they came to arrest him, he said, if I'm, if, if I'm a prophet, let fire come down from heaven. So came down and it burned him up. First lot dead, second lot dead, third lot. The fourth lot said, please, sir, don't kill us. We're just doing what the king said. We need to bring you to the king. So he didn't call fire down from heaven on the last lot. I don't know why the others didn't learn their lesson, but anyway, it's a whole other message. So... Uh, this is the background that James and John are from. So when they see that they want to accept them, what do they do? They say, do you want us to call fire down from heaven, Jesus? We're going to fry these suckers. I mean, they need to feel fire. <laughs> I met preachers just like this. They need to feel the fire licking at their heels so that they come running. <laughs> I'm telling you, these guys are connected. I said, and these people said, I went to hell. If you went to hell, you would have stayed there. Because, the, because nobody goes to hell who doesn't belong there. If hell has no claim on you, you can't go there. The only person who went there and came back was Jesus. Now, I don't know what people are saying. I mean, you need to read the book about I went to hell. I could care less whether he went to hell. The, most, the reason why I got saved, and I realized at one point it was because I was afraid that I was going to burn forever. But the reason why I really got saved is because Jesus loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen? And, and, and sometimes people think, well, we just got to scare them in. That's our culture. We're going to scare them in, bro. We're going to make a loud enough explosion that they come running, screaming, and crying. The problem with that is you don't make disciples out of fear. You only make them out of love. Amen? You, they, if they won't come because they love Jesus, you can scare them. You can scare goats into a corral, but they don't make them into sheep. Amen? The only way to make them into sheep is to change their heart supernaturally. And so the church can't use gimmicks. You know what I mean by gimmicks? I, I mean using silly ideas to, to scare people, coming up with weird... I, I mean, there's always something new out there. I don't even want to mention any of them because some of you probably have, have, uh, have bought into it in some way at some point in your life. I'm just saying to you, we're not about gimmicks. We believe Jesus is as attractive today as he was 2,000 years ago. We believe that Jesus wins the world as much today as he did 2,000 years ago. We believe that Jesus is as relevant now with all that we know scientifically and psychologically and everything. Jesus is still as relevant 
still absolutely essential, cannot be replaced in any way. We still believe Jesus is for now, and he's still as available and still as powerful as he has ever been. Can you say amen? All right. <coughs> so when they say, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? What does Jesus say to them? You don't know what spirit you are. He actually rebukes them. He said, you don't know what spirit you are. Church, do we know what spirit we are? Are we the spirit that says, I'm going to fry you suckers. I'm telling you what, I'm sending you right to hell right now this morning. In fact, you're going to be hanging onto the sides of the pillars of the church, screaming, thinking you're about to slip bodily alive down into the pit. We need some fire in this church. The church is called to preach Jesus Christ, not hell. Sorry. Is there a hell? Yes. Do you want to avoid it? I would say so. I've never been there, but I don't intend to go anyway either. But I don't have to go there in order to know it ain't the place I want to be. Amen? I've had enough hell in this life. I don't want to have to live in one forever and ever with no possibility of escape. That would be awful. How, whatever happens and how terrible it is, that would be awful. Can you say amen to that? All right. So uh, Jesus said to them, he said, uh, you, you, you don't know what spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Amen? They, they, were, they were getting really warmed up. They were, they were, they were going to give them a whole new meaning to that word that says, feel the burn. I've seen people say, we need more fire preached in the church. Man, if we preached enough of Jesus, nobody would be looking for fire. Amen? Amen. In uh, Luke chapter 7, Jesus is invited to dinner. Not the kind of dinner invite you want. They invite him, but they're not super excited about having him. I've met people like this. They, they invite Jesus in, but they're not super excited about having him there. Mostly because they feel like <coughs> there's something about him we like, but we think he's threatening our, our, our viewpoint of life. And when the Pharisee, in Luke 7, 39, and when the Pharisee who had invited him uh, saw this, Jesus went to the dinner, and when he was at the dinner, guess what happened? A woman that everybody knew was obviously an adulteress. She came in and she starts crying and wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And she's touching him. And what do they say? Uh, if that guy was a real prophet, he wouldn't let that witch be touching him. Uh, because she's obviously the worst kind of a person. And... Uh, that means he's not a prophet. So that was them. They they'd already made they had him over to see if he was a prophet. And when they saw the way he treated somebody, he's not a prophet. He's just soft on sin. We knew it. We're out of here. It's it's it. We 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 checked out and everything else. Towards the end of dinner, <laughs> Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you, which is which is an awesomely polite way of doing it, isn't it? He could have just said. You stinking, self-righteous, miserable, too. He doesn't say that to him. He says, Simon, I get something to say to you. He said, and he says, what is it, teacher? He actually uses a, uh, a nice way of referring to Jesus. Says, what is it? He says, let me say something. Basically, Jesus says, may I say something to you? And 
Simon's brave enough to say, go ahead, say it. There are some times when we need to say things, but we still need to be polite when we do it. Just because somebody is wrong does not mean you should be impolite when you deal with them. Amen? Is that our culture? I disagree with a lot of things. But I'm at the point where, you know what? I, I don't need to get aggravated. That's not my area of responsibility. I'm just going to let it go. I know it sounds a little bit like uh, Frozen and uh, Elsa's song and everything else or whatever it is, uh, but it isn't. What it is, is I recognize that I have limits of my responsibility, and I don't need to correct everything that I see. In fact, the James and John crowd, the ones who wanted to call fire down heaven and fry those suckers because they didn't want to accept Jesus, ja John actually says later on in 1 John, he says, if you see your brother doing a sin, what do you do? Go and confront him. No. He says, pray for him. It doesn't even say confront him. It says, pray for him. If it's a sin not leading to death. So what is the sin leading to death? Refusing, refusing or rejecting Jesus. Don't pray for them. Preach the gospel to them. You can pray for the lost all you want to. They'll still die and go to hell. They need to have the gospel preached to them so that they have something to believe. Amen? So pray for the lost if you want to preach to the lost. So, uh, so when, when Jesus is speaking to him, they say to him, uh, go ahead and say it. He said, I, I came in here. You didn't even give me water for me to wash my own feet. <laughs> She's been washing my feet with her tears. When I showed up, you didn't greet me at the door and give me the usual kiss, or which is really a air kiss on either side of the face kind of thing. It's a, and, a, and a hug. Greeting. You didn't give that to me. You kind of let me know that this is not a super warm event. Do we greet people kind of standoffishly because they haven't yet measured up to our standard of what we think they should be doing? Or do we greet them like they're the long-lost people that we've always been waiting for? How do we greet them? Do you, do you stand? When somebody new comes into the church, do we look at them and say, they're going to have to prove themselves before I get involved here. Or are you going to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm a person of faith. I love by faith. I live by faith. I greet by faith. I make friends by faith. I do whatever I need to do by faith. Amen? It's the lighthouse of faith. It's not by, I love by performance. I greet by performance. I be make friends based upon performance. Do I do that? No, then it would be the lighthouse of performance. And then it wouldn't be a lighthouse. It would just be like any other house. It would be because you didn't perform well. Amen? I believe that if we have the culture of Jesus, we'll be as attractive as Jesus is, and we won't have to really advertise. It just takes a while for people to realize, I really want to be part of that group, because I've been part of the other group, and I've been torn to bits, I've been chewed up, I've been spat out, and nobody has the time of day for me. I want to I be with people where they treat me like I actually have value, that despite everything, I still have a future. And they're more interested in my future than in my past. That's the kind of people that I want to hang out with. Can you say amen? And so uh, when Jesus said, you know what, this woman, she's been doing all of these things since the time she came in. And Jesus said, you know what, Simon, let me tell you a parable. <laughs> Jesus doesn't even keep silent. Like, I'm going to tell you a parable. Here it comes. 
there were two people who all owed a, a sum of money. The one owed a massive amount, the other owed a little amount. And the master came and he forgave both of them. The one who forgave them owed the massive amount and the one who owed just a little bit amount. He said, tell me, <laughs> who loves more? The one who's forgiven the little amount or the one who's forgiven the massive amount? And he says, I suppose, <laughs> and when you read it, it means I'm so reluctant to answer this question because I can see where you're going and I don't like what you're saying. That's what it says. He says, I suppose the one who was forgiven the larger debt. There. See? I said it. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. And this woman, she's been forgiven much because she loved much. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? In other words, we don't see people who need lots of forgiveness as an obstacle to loving God. We see people who need lots of forgiveness as an opportunity for loving God. Something powerful in something awesome. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. And the last one I want to tell you about is that good old favorite is the, the prodigal. What's your culture? You feel your culture getting a, a reset here? Anybody hitting the factory settings yet? Good. <coughs> so the prodigal son, he sells takes everything, he goes off into a distant land. <coughs> when he comes back, <laughs> he, his father sees him from a long way off. When we were driving here, I think it's Coachella this weekend. I think they're having another one of those every weekend. Okay, so it's wild and crazy. While we're driving here, there's one of those billboards, you know those ones where it says heaven and hell, which way will you choose? You know, they're all across the country. They're put up by some group of people, they pay for them. Uh, I've se you've probably seen them in the one that they have, uh, that you've seen a meme of. It says, heaven and hell, which way will you choose? And underneath there's another billboard that says, tell them the cows sent you. You know, it's an advert for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so you, know, so you can just imagine them getting into hell and saying, the cows sent me. But anyway, but th so they juxtaposed it. So it's funny because of the way that they are. But you see those right across the country. I ask me, I've driven across the country a few times in the last couple of years. And you just see them all the way across. They always have, you can trust Jesus and, and things like that. And they're good. But this one in Coachella, they had this really religious face of Jesus. <coughs> and um, underneath it said, Jesus is watching you. And it had something to do with Coachella, and then it says, Jesus, remember Jesus is watching. I thought, is that what we're really about? We want to get perfect behavior, or do we want people to trust in Jesus Christ? Because if perfect behavior is what it's like, then we should just be the biggest moral society, and we should be beating our base every day and every week about morals, 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 morals. Then that way, everybody will die and still go to hell, but they'll go to hell as nice people rather than people who were less than nice. So if th is that the goal? Is that the goal? I think the quickest way to press the reset button is to ask yourself, what is the goal? Is the church a moral preaching society? And I don't believe that we are amoral or immoral, not having any morals or, not, or, or being contrary to morals. But I just believe we understand that Jesus is the answer, not the other stuff. All right. 
And so when, when the prodigal son decides to come home, <coughs> what happens? He sees him a long way off. He rushes out to him. Do we rush out to them or we say, not getting involved with that crowd? Man, if people see me hanging around with him, that's going to ruin my reputation. You know, Jesus wasn't concerned about his reputation. He left that with God. What I know is that if we love people, we're going to get a reputation. People will say all kinds of things about you. Some of it might be true. Some of it will generally, most of it's generally false, but all of it's unhelpful. Amen? All of it is unhelpful. And so when, when the prodigal son comes home, he wants to tell the father exactly what he's done wrong. And what does he do? He doesn't listen to it. They have a party. They kill a fattened calf. They're singing and dancing. There's a new set of clothing. There's a set of shoes. There's a replacement of lost jewelry. There's all kinds of cool things that are happening in the story. What isn't there? There's no telling what he did. And actually reading the story, essentially what Jesus is saying, I'm, more, I'm not interested in what you've done. I'm just happy you're home. Is that, our po- is that our policy? I'm not interested in what you've done. I'm just happy you're home. And if we have that, if we have that attitude, a lot more people will come home. If they know that we're not interested in what you did. We're not interested in what happened in the past. We're just happy that you came home. And I believe that's the greatest thing that we can have as believers, where we look at people and we say to them, you know what? What you did, what happened in your life, what went on is not important. I'm just so happy that you came home. I'm so happy that you finally realized that living in a foreign country and starving to death, trying to eat all the things the world gives you, and you finally realized, this is just not doing anything for me. Time to punch the reset button. Time to go back to where I need to be. Time to stop trying to spin 3,000 different plates all at the same time, making everything... You know, Jesus put it this way. When Mary was sitting at his feet and Martha was preparing the meal. We don't know why Martha was preparing the meal. She may have thought it was a good idea. It was a bad idea. She should have left the meal and just sat at Jesus' feet, right? Sometimes we're just busy because we think, what can I do? Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. When your doing should have been sitting at the feet of Jesus, you were busy doing something else, right? So she gets mad. She actually tells Jesus. She said, don't you care that I'm here busy serving? And she's just sitting there. What she's really saying to Jesus is, your value system is wrong. And mine is right. You have, in this instance, Jesus, a wrong culture. You shouldn't have been teaching her you should have told her to get up and work and help me in the kitchen and I'm upset because you didn't see that I was there working away and getting more and more upset because I'm miserable but I'm not happy just to be miserable by myself I need to be miserable with somebody and just leave you by yourself 
So she was really, really mad, and she interrupted what he was doing. And what did he say to her? He said, you're absolute, absolutely right, Martha. We're really about uh, making sure we help people and do all this stuff. We're going to drop everything right now. We're going to forget about the gospel. We're all going to rush into the kitchen, and we're going to fix that meal and make it the best and the greatest and the most wonderful that it is. Is that what he said? <laughs> he said to her these things. I'm closing with this. Sorry, I've gone over my time. I set myself. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted about many things. <laughs> Few things are necessary. What did Jesus say? Few things are necessary. And then he qualified it one step further. So you've gone from lots to few. And then he says, really only one. In your culture, how many things are necessary? Many? Few? That's better. Really only one? That's the best. Mary has chosen the better part, and I'm not going to interfere with that. I'm not going to stop her, and I'm not going to change it. You have a good point, but it's a bad point when it doesn't take into account the only point. There are plenty of things that are good ideas, but there's only one thing that is the most important thing. And if you make a mistake with that one, it doesn't matter how many good ideas you have, none of them are going to stop your life from being absolute chaos. Amen? Praise God. Let's make sure our culture fits in with what God has. Father, I thank you this morning for this wonderful group of people that you gathered together in this place. I know that many may feel insignificant, perhaps at times that their life doesn't make a difference, but Lord, I know that it makes a massive difference and that if we just stay faithful and true to it instead of getting anxious, instead of don't just sit there, do something attitude, that ultimately we understand what our real culture is and we we propagate that, we, we, we share that, we disseminate that, we scatter that abroad, that that will work so many amazing things. I thank you that value doesn't come from being able to do anything. It comes from being what we are, children of God. And I thank you that even when there are severe accidents or things that were just let go at the wrong place and the wrong time, that that doesn't take our value away. We're still valuable. We're still important. And Father, I thank you that as we focus on Jesus, that he'll be for us our all in all. We give you thanks for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. <coughs>